So once again, we're kind of jumping into uh, our preaching series. It's entitled, Living Yes Requires No. The whole point is, um, at the end of this Lent, hopefully we want to be able to say yes more resolutely to Jesus by identifying the habits and behaviors that are already a part of our life, and we want to say no to them. Being able to say no, knowing what we're saying no to, allows us to say yes more strongly, more frequently, more with more potency. So last two weeks, we've talked about sloth and lust and their accompanying virtues, uh, diligence and chastity. Just a reminder what a virtue is, right? A virtue is a, it's a human habit that engages our intellect and engages our will. It deals with our passions. It deals with, it guides our conduct. It also deals with self-mastery in the moral life so that we can choose the good Living a Christian life and being holy is an interactive participation. It's not a passive exercise. Just because we want to be holy doesn't mean we're going to be holy. Just because we want to be a saint doesn't mean we're going to be a saint. We have to actively choose to be holy, to follow the Lord, to say no to the things that are unholy and yes to the behaviors that make us holy. So today we're going to talk about envy with these paradigms. We want to expose what envy is. We want to talk about how envy is revealed in our own experience. What does envy actually look like in our daily lives? And then hopefully um, I'm going to equip you with some tools to try to fight against envy. We'll talk about a virtue that is the opposite of envy, right? What is envy? Envy is an irrational sadness over someone else's good fortune and a covetous desire to possess what rightly belongs to someone else. Hopefully you heard someone else, someone else a couple of times. I'm always looking at someone else, an irrational desire and a sadness over someone else's good fortune. It makes me sad when other people are successful. It makes me sad when other people do good stuff. It makes me sad when other people get attention and validation, almost as if it, it lessens my value. It lessens my worth. I get sad when someone gets a promotion. I get sad when they sell their house and they buy a bigger house. I get sad when they ride up in that driveway with that new car. Covetous desire to possess what belongs to someone else. I'm always looking. I'm always measuring what other people have. Put another way, envy is a hidden grief that fills our heart with sorrow because of the false belief that if another person's happiness somehow threatens my own happiness. Some people who are sad just want everybody around them to be sad. And when they're around happy people, it's almost like a threat. And so if I can make everybody else around me miserable, it makes me feel better about myself. A hidden grief that fills my heart. If you can hear the, the it's called a deadly sin, right? It's, it breaks uh, bonds and communion between people. What does scripture say about sad, uh, envy? Maybe you were listening to today's first reading. You might have heard a little bit about it. It's kind of uh, hidden in there. 
So the prophet Samuel is asked by God to go to Jesse's house to anoint the new king. Now, hindsight, we know, right, um, Saul is the king right now, but David is going to be the new king. David is a son of Jesse. So Samuel goes to Jesse's house and said, hey, um, I want you to gather up all your boys. I want to have a little service. Um, I'm going to bless one of them. The Lord has sent me here to bless and anoint one of them as king. So Jesse gets his boys, and obviously he has his favorites. He has those who externally look like they're going to be the obvious choice, right? And it even says, if you read the detail, Jesse's looking at his boys and he thinks, certainly this has got to be the one. He's the tall one. He's the strong one. Or maybe this is the one. He's the, he's the intellectually wiser of all of them. He's, he's always my overachiever. And if you read the detail, Jesse goes um, to each one and each one passes in front of him. And Jesse, is, uh, sorry, um, Samuel is listening to the Lord, right? Samuel is listening to the Lord, and, and Samuel hears the Lord say, no, not this one. Not this one. And so all seven are passing in front of Samuel. Now, I want you to enter into the experience as if you were there, right? If you were, as if you were one of the boys. Hmm. Two of my brothers came. Didn't pick them. I guess it's going to be me. Kind of come up and oh, just keep on walking. Dang it. Who's it going to be? And then they all watch it happen. And God doesn't pick any of them. And then Samuel says, do you have any other sons? Yeah, I have one more. Didn't even invite him to the party. Left him out in the field, tending the sheep. Well, Samuel says, well, we're not going to start unless you go get him unless he arrives. And here comes, now I just want you to imagine all seven of those boys, they watch their little brother walk in, smelling like the sheep, dirty, just clueless probably. It says he was ruddy and handsome in appearance. And he just walks in, clueless of what's going on. And Samuel anoints David as king in front of all of his brothers. Now I want you to imagine what was in their heart. Do you think they were overwhelmed with excitement? Do you think they were clapping and wanted to walk up to him and kiss him and say, we knew you were the one? <laughs> Talk about envy, right? An inability to celebrate the joy and success in other people's lives. It's often rooted in an insecurity in our own life because we need something that someone else is getting. It's all over scripture, right? It's Cain and Abel. Cain was jealous of Abel because God accepted Abel's gift. And so Cain literally killed his brother out of envy and jealousy. The prodigal son, the older son, is out in the field. His younger brother comes in. You know the story. Um, the father runs out to meet him after he squandered half of his inheritance. Throw a party, fattened calf. The older son refused to go to the party. He was envious of the father's love for his own brother. You haven't even, you didn't even give me like the, a, a young goat to celebrate with my friends. And for this, your son, didn't even call him his brother. For your son, you slaughtered the fattened calf. I refuse to go in. Envy. How it can rip our hearts. It can lodge in our hearts. Um, if you're not convinced yet that maybe envy speaks to you, maybe uh, this uh, might reveal that you struggle with envy. 
Uh, since you've arrived at church today, in your mind, you have compared yourself or your family or your possessions to someone else who's at mass. Just kind of wandering like, oh yeah. Just kind of measuring, right? We're jockeying who's sitting by who, who's where. You gossip. You don't think you do, but in reality, you do. In doing so, you spread rumors of false information about other people. We gossip to make ourselves feel good and to make other people look bad. We often gossip about people we're jealous over, that we're envious over. You're dissatisfied with the marriage or family you have and often wish you had other people's marriage. You're driven to have the best physical possessions or social status. You unknowingly seek to find fault in someone else who has what you don't. If you can find fault in them, it just gives you a reason not to be so envious. You don't want to admit it, but you privately experience a bit of delight when someone successful experiences a setback. I knew they had it coming. I mean, I just knew it. You kind of almost relish when someone successful kind of falls, right? You aren't happy for others when they achieve success. It's hard for you to celebrate other people's blessings. And people never live up to your expectations or standards. So our experience, how does this come in? So like, right, we're trying to unmask the enemy. We're trying to unmask how the devil gets to us, right? This is not about judging us and condemning us, maybe for some of you who struggle with envy. Um, It's about looking at our life and being honest so we can say, oh, that's not healthy. That's not good. That's keeping me from the Lord. So I want to uproot it. What does it look like in our life? Envy can destroy relationships because we see others as threats. Like if we're all a family of God, if we're all brothers and sisters in the Lord, can you hear how envy creates separation? You're now a threat to my happiness. You're now a threat to something I want. And man, if there's five people, if there's 10 people trying to get what I want, you're all threats, and now it's me against you. Authentic relationships require us to be able to celebrate the success in other people's lives. If we can't celebrate success... I just got a bunch of boudet faces. And no one can be successful because the minute you're successful, huh, you're not a part of the group. Have a, <laughs> have a friend, <laughs> have someone in this congregation, I'm laughing at myself because um, I met this person, I'm like, there's no way that this person could possibly be this happy. Like it's gotta be, it's gotta be something wrong with this person. Like, there's no possible way. There's no way to ask somebody, I'm like, is this real? Like, are they that happy? That says something about me, right? I'm like, because I ain't that happy. So if I'm not that happy, they can't, no one could possibly be that happy, right? A little bit of envy going on there. Those closest to us never meet our expectations. And I want to talk about this. This is so important and I want you to really listen, right? Um, some of you have had the gift of uh, being able to have children. Some of you are not old enough to have children, praise God. Some of you um, want children but just haven't had the, the, the blessing of children. For those of you who um, have had children, uh, at the beginning, like at the birthing process, um, when everybody wants the same thing. What do we want? Healthy baby. How many fingers? How many toes? I just, just please, just 10 fingers, 10 toes. I'm so glad they're normal and they're healthy. 
And then that's the last time you ever are acceptable. It's ever acceptable to be normal for your kid. It's like now, I mean, they gotta be, they gotta be eating like right away. They gotta be like talking before they're like one and a half. I mean, they gotta be reading books before they're five years old. They gotta be the best athlete. And if they're not, there's something wrong with them. It's very, it's very dangerous because we, we have these great desires for our children or maybe we have this desire um, as we watch our children grow up because it says a lot about how we are raising our kids. It says a lot about who they are. And we have hopes and aspirations. We, this is what I hope my child is going to be and this is what I hope they're going to do. And often what happens is as we hope for our children, we set expectations for our children. And it's in the expectations that we place on our children, and this applies to a lot of other things, that the enemy is gonna come in and try to weave and root himself. Because this is what it sounds like. I, I never expected my child to, to grow up and, and smoke dope. Like no, no parent actually dreams and hopes of that. When they're in the waiting room, they're like, I hope my child grows up and just drops out of high school and smokes dope. Right? No, no one does that. So when it happens, we're like, what did I do wrong? What happened? What's wrong with them? What's wrong with me? Like no child, uh, no, no parent like in the waiting room, they're like, oh, I cannot wait till my child dates the wrong person and, and, and marries them and they never listen to a word I say. Like no one, no one hopes for that, right? We have expectations that they're gonna be successful, that they're gonna do this and that. But when it happens, like when, when normal life just kind of plays out, then then those expectations are not met. That's when the enemy comes in and says, ha, oh, look over there. Look how good their kids are. And that I, I wish my kids were like those kids. What? what why, what did they do to deserve those kids? What did I do wrong? What did they do right? We do it with our marriage. We have expectations when we're dating and we're like trying to imagine what life's gonna be like in our wedding night. You know, it's gonna be like, it's gonna be this. We have three kids and two of them will be boys. One's gonna be a girl and it's gonna be Jack and, 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 and Jill and uh, Joachim, right? And, um, and it's gonna be great. We're gonna have a small dog. It's gonna be great. We're gonna buy that three piece, you know, three acre property. And and gosh, five years in the marriage. I know this is really sensitive. Ten years in the marriage, and no children are coming. And and that voice, right, the enemy. Look at that family over there. They have three kids. I wish my marriage look like their marriage. I wish my family looked like their family. And all of a sudden, there's this envy and this, this. Can you hear how it subtly happens? It's rooted in an insecurity, right? It's rooted in insecurity in our heart. The grief around unmet expectations is the doorway that envy enters into. And then everyone else is someone that I compare myself to. Everyone else is someone I compare my life to. Maybe you are sitting here, a lot of teenagers in here, maybe you were, um, you've experienced these expectations from your parents. And you just can't meet your parents' expectations. You can't meet anyone's expectations. 
but suddenly in your heart when you, when you see that super athlete or that super academic or that, that artsy person or that person that just picks up a, an instrument and just can play so well, there's something wrong with me. I wish I was that smart. I wish I was that athletic. I wish I was that talented. Envy can creep in. And then we have difficulty really celebrating their success because it, it even puts more light on their victory and it reminds me more and more of, of the lack of in my life, right? Equipping, what's, the, what's gonna help us fight against envy? You guys listening? What's gonna help us fight against envy? What's gonna help us fight against envy is our ability to admire other people. To see the good in other people and actually verbalize it in them. Admiration is to actively admire the gifts of God that he has bestowed on other people. Like to see with a new lens, last week we talked about that, Jesus, you have to convert my mind and my heart so that I can see how you see. Help me see other people as you see them. Help me see myself as you see me. Because when we begin to see as God sees us, we begin to realize, you know what? I'm one of billions of people that God has created. And he's given us all gifts and talents. You have gifts that I don't have. I have gifts that you don't have. I'm not meant to have them all. We complement each other. And so to see one succeed is just to see God being glorified in someone else. And for me to compliment them is really to compliment God who gave him those gifts. They're not a threat to me. They're actually like, we're family. We're brothers and sisters. We're coworkers. They don't threaten me. To admire somebody, it's hard for us to do. If we are insecure, that is really hard for us to do. Because to admire someone really is an exhausting feat to bring more and more attention to someone else when I am longing for attention myself. And so you and I will not be able to admire other people if we are not able to um, rewire our heart, if, we're not, if we don't ask the Holy Spirit to rewire our mind so that we can better understand how God sees us and how God sees each other. Unless you and I can hear right before God, can hear how he loves us individually, unless our worth and our dignity come from God, we are unable to admire other people. But when our worth and when our dignity comes from God, I'm able to turn to other people because I'm not dependent upon other people to tell me how good I am. I don't need their admiration, which frees me to be able to admire them. This is what it sounds like and looks like. When I know whose I am, his, I belong to him, I know who I am. And when I know who I am, I know who others are, and I can live in freedom. I want you to pay attention to this. This is important. When I know whose I am, when I know that I belong to the Lord and he is the one who gives me my worth, my dignity, my purpose, I look to him to affirm me and not everyone else. When I know whose I am, I know who I am. And when I know who I am, I know who others are. They're the same way. God looks at them the same way. 
So I don't need to compete with them. We're actually co-workers. We're family. We're in this together. I like to win for those of you who don't know that. For those of you who are competitors in here, um, envy is tough because there's only one winner and everyone else is second place losers. And when you're a competitor, when you're a competitor, you, you look at other people differently. They're a threat. The irony, the irony is God wants us all to get to heaven. Heaven is our destiny, it's our goal, but there's a lot of places in heaven. There ain't just one place where I need to step over all of you to get there. God says, there's many rooms. I'm going to prepare a room for all of you. There's many crowns. There's not just one crown. I don't have to beat down other people to get the one crown. No, he wants us all to be saints. He wants us all to be holy, right? Finally, what does it look like? Let's start celebrating the success of other people. Let's ask for help from people who have gifts and talents that we don't have. We have this value uh, in our parish, um, on our team, we're, we're better together, right? Uh, work doesn't look good and healthy when we're trying to do it on our own. We're better together because we start to incorporate gifts of everyone around us. And envy begins to get us to work in silos, begins to be isolated, and we're always comparing ourselves. Let's try to celebrate the success of others. Let's ask for help when we need it. For those of you who struggle with envy, um, hopefully this is helpful. Um, this is our third deadly sin, right? And I know we're starting to speak to your heart. Maybe we haven't spoke to you. Maybe you're like, you know what, I'm good. No worries, pride's coming. It'll speak to you. <laughs> we'll get to it eventually. But this is my suggestion. Try not to get overwhelmed with all of this, right? We are talking about the seven patterns of sin that are consistent in most Christians for 2,000 years. Try not to say, oh, I'm gonna tackle all of these by the end of Lent. Let's just tackle one. Like maybe one really speaks to your heart. Like, not that you're not listening, but maybe just put them all to the side and just say, Lord, maybe you wanna cultivate this virtue in me in this one area of my life. Like we got a little time, weeks, months. Let's just focus on one, right? Let's not get overwhelmed. Let's not try to be a super saint by tomorrow. Let's not let the burden of the awareness of our sinfulness overwhelm us. Let's just work on one virtue. So let's work on saying no to one deadly sin. Thinking that way will make some progress and when Easter comes, we will be able to say yes just a little easier to Jesus and no to sin, amen?